You are listening to a podcast of The View, where we discuss today's topics from an anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural perspective. This podcast is brought to you by the Church of the Larger Fellowship. To subscribe, visit questformeaning.org or search for Church of the Larger Fellowship in the iTunes Store. We're so excited to have you here with us today. Somehow they have let the learning fellows run the view today. So who knows what will happen when the uh, cat's away. (laughs) Uh, We are so excited. We have with us the search team for the Church of the Larger Fellowship. We'll talk more about that. But first, I want to tell you the weather in Delaware is, um, yeah, I haven't actually gone outside but my app tells me that it's going to be like, you know, regular Delaware day at this time of the year, kind of dreary, maybe rainy. I, I don't see the sun. So I think that's what I'm banking on. Uh, Jen, we have Jen Johnson with us today, our covenant person, our faith rocket person, our worship person. I'm so excited. I love working with Jen. Jen, what's going on in Massachusetts? Hey, Antonia. Um, actually, I only know secondhand that it's a rainy day in Massachusetts. I snuck away. I'm in West Palm Beach, Florida this morning. I snuck away for a couple of days on a work trip with my partner so I could get a little sun, although it's kind of gray and windy here, but there's signs that the sun's going to peak out and it's warmer and I'm hoping to do some sermon writing in the sun today. So um, it's so fun to be here. I'm really excited to talk to our search committee um, and hear how that process is going. I know that they've put so much love and effort into this on behalf of CLF. So, um, and now I'm going to turn it over to Lori and hear how the weather is where you are, Lori. Hey everybody, my name is Lori Stone-Sartoski. I am the Director of Technology here at the CLF and I will be your tech host for today's show. And so you can find me in the chat on our YouTube channel for our live channel. And you can also find me over on Twitter. If you have any uh, questions for our guests, or our hosts, you can put them into the chat in YouTube and I'll make sure that they get them. And uh, I'm out here in Phoenix and it's another just beautiful, beautiful February day. The high is gonna be in the low 70s uh, and it's blue sky and I've got my hummingbirds outside my balcony and the, the tree is already blooming. So we do have deciduous trees here. I didn't realize that when I first moved here a couple years ago. And so I'm getting um, little leaves back on the tree outside my balcony. I'm so excited. Uh, I will pass it back to Antonia. Uh, so um, this is a part of our show where we just wanna make sure that we amplify everything that's happening in our little UU spaces. Um, We think that it's important here at The View that we just figure one more way that we can connect Unitarian Universalists and everyone 
that everyone's that's interested in our stuff. My big thing is the Thrive Youth um, event is coming up. It's so exciting. Um, Thrive is for youth of color to uh, connect with each other, to learn about leadership, to, to feel connected to the, the larger UU um, association. And so I'm really excited about that. I am trying very, very hard to get my kid to go. We will see what happens. Um, Lori is going to be great and drop a link for you all over on YouTube to see what that's about. And um, so I'm excited about that. I'm going to open this up popcorn style and see what everyone else is excited about. Hi, everyone. I'm Reverend Aishan Sana. I'll introduce myself a bit more in a moment, but I just want to let you all know about a program called Changing Systems, Changing Ourselves. It's uh, co-facilitated, co-run by the American Friends Service Committee, uh, the UU Service Committee, um, Freedom for Immigrants, Church World Service, um, and it's about immigration accompaniment and the ways that we do that and the ways that systems get in the way. So I think Lori's going to drop a link to that. The course has already started, so you can't sign up to join it, but um, there's a self-study course on there. And so if you're interested in, in questions of immigration accompaniment, justice, and all of these things, it's a really comprehensive course for that. Uh, but I guess I can share that um, I'm down here in North Carolina and leading our, um, our justice ministry here in the state, and we are ramping up for You, You, The Vote. Um, and I know I'm not alone in that, and North Carolina is not alone in that. Um, so, uh, yeah, I just want to amplify um, all the incredible planning and actions that are already happening around the country. And you can uh, always be plugging into that through Facebook, through a wonderful Slack um, um, community where people are sharing things constantly. And of course, on UUA.org, um, it's an exciting year and we're trying to um, collectively make uh, an impact um, and engage people in the, in the electoral process this year. So that's um, a big, exciting thing that will be happening all year, but is already getting started. Do you know, Lisa, if there's a, a link uh, for UU the vote or do you just I go to- I actually just like shared it. Oh, thank you so much. Yep. So while I have the floor, I will uh, mention that just last night, I heard from Paige Ingram, uh, the blue community organizer about uh, Lent, Lenten uh, practice that blue is hosting this year. Uh, so you look up Blue Salon and they are partnering with or using the content from recipients. And what that's going to be about is dismantling white supremacy one day at a time as a Lenten spiritual practice. So I'll drop a link to the Blue Salon. This is an exclusively blue, uh, black sacred space. So for white folks, um, you can look at recipients, but you but Blue Salon is specifically for black folks. Well, I am really excited to get some um, time in with you all talking about everything. Did anybody else have anything they wanted to add before we move on to what we are all waiting for? All right. Well, Dar Darby Lockridge says we are in for a treat, and I believe her because we had a meeting um, with these people, and it was so productive and eye-opening in the way that they are approaching the work that they're doing. Darby says, I took part in their first Zoom meeting last week. I missed last night, but I am super excited to hear more today. 
and so are we. So Reverend Aisha, I'm gonna start with you to give a little bit of introduction to yourself and I'm gonna let you all go on from there and get back in when I can. Great, thank you so much, Antonia. So I'm Reverend Aisha Ansano. I use she, her, hers pronouns. Um, I'm the affiliated community minister at First Parish in Malden, Massachusetts. So Jennifer, as of this moment, it is not raining where I am, but I know it is coming. Um, and um, I think I will pass it on to Lisa. Thanks, uh, my name is Lisa Garcia Sampson. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, hers. And I'm calling in from North Carolina, where I am the executive director of Forward Together, which is our UU justice ministry in the state. Uh, it's sunny, uh, a little bit brisk, but sunny today. And I am a lifelong New Englander who will be experiencing my very first non-New England spring here in North Carolina. And I already see uh, the flowers uh, popping up and it is unfamiliar, but utterly delightful to me uh, to see a different, a different type of spring in a different part of the country. I'll pass it on to Jessica. Hi, I'm Jessica James and I'm zooming in from Dayton, Ohio, where we got a lot of snow last night. And um, that's, I'm a board member on CLF and part of the search team. I'll pass it on to John. Hello, good morning, or whenever, I guess good morning for everyone. <laughs> uh, I'm John Hooper. I'm a retired research scientist. Uh, I use the pronouns uh, him, he, him, his. Uh, I'm a trustee of CLF and the uh, board treasurer, so I follow the money. <laughs> uh, and I'm also on the search team. I'm, I live in Pittsburgh, uh, Pennsylvania with my spouse, Gail Pacina, and it's uh, flurrying and very cold outside here. I meant to say that I am also on the board. So three of us on the search team are CLF board members, and then Lisa is not. It was important to us to bring in someone who's not on the board who has maybe a different perspective. So we want to give you a little kind of overview of the search process, and then we'll move to questions. Lisa, do you feel good about giving us our timeline? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so uh, just a brief overview of where we are and where we're headed. Um, a few weeks ago, we were excited to, to put out our request for proposals uh, in early February. And our deadline to receive proposals is March 20th. We'll go into this a little bit more in detail, um, but this is different to a typical search process within the UUA in that um, instead of us creating a, a congregational record and asking um, individual applicants um, to, to submit a ministerial record, um, we have a request for proposals process that um, allows for um, us to, we believe, to live into our values and, um, and really um, invite exciting, innovative ideas um, to imagine uh, the future for CLF and to make sure that we are uh, getting the very best candidates uh, into the search process. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But our request for proposals are due on March 20th. And from there, we will move into a review of the, that first round of RFPs. And we'll be doing um, first round interviews in the first week of April. Uh, from there, we will move on to select um, um, our, our finalists. We'll do some reference checks, and I won't um, go in too much with the details. Um, but by the end of April, we'll be notifying um, all applicants, and we'll be selecting finalists. And at that point, we will uh, let them know um, uh, what their 
Um, we'll be inviting them to create presentations and inviting them to finalist interviews, which will occur the first week of June. Um, and they'll actually be uh, um, in Ohio. Uh, so the in June, um, uh, we will go through final de deliberations um, in the first week of June. Our goal is um, to, to select um, a, a team or individual to offer um, this, this position to by June 15th. And um, with that being said, sometimes the, the search process doesn't go um, exactly the way we intend, but if we are able to um, select a finalist or, uh, excuse me, uh, um, a team or an individual by June 15th that sets us up to do um, negotiations and possibly be ready to introduce our new CLF leadership uh, by General Assembly. If we can do that, um, that would not only be a wonderful opportunity for all of you to get to know our new leadership, but then we would have a start date of August 1st, which will allow an overlap between our new leadership individual or team with Meg's um, last week or two in CLF so that there can be some intentional onboarding and relationship building and conversations to get this new leadership team uh, off the ground and running. And I think um, we're off the ground and moving. Uh, I think that's about all I have um, for the timeline. Uh, we can go into some other um, areas, but um, maybe I could uh, pass it off to someone else. Maybe, um, actually, Jessica, would you mind talking a little bit about um, why we are selecting um, <laughs> the, the new leadership team um, as opposed to a more typical congregational pro process? Sure. Um, I'm Jessica and my pronouns are she, her, and hers. And I forgot to say that earlier. So we, CLF has been so blessed and under incredible leadership for a decade, Reverend Meg Riley. And she has made, has led CLF into being a denominational leader in anti-racism, anti-oppression, um, mentoring ministers it's so we have there are there's no way we can fill those shoes <laughs> that's not that's not part of our plan um what is part of our plan is to think expansively and open up what is uh the what is the future of clf and some of the things that we we know to be true are that different there are many kinds of ministers and many kinds of ministries out in the world um, our particular process, as you use, is very um, inaccessible in many ways. Uh, so we want to open up to the leadership of CLF, the possibilities of leadership to CLF, to um, you know jump jump in. If I, but we're we're looking for either we we may not know that. Uh, this one person is going to be the best leader for CLF. It could be a team leadership, a shared leadership, and we want to have more than we can imagine come in and be considered as leaders for our organization and serving our mission. That is why we decided to say, hey, you know, give us, give us your ideas. Give us your vision for how you think that CLF can live into its mission for the next 10 years. And one thing I will add that I know has come up as a question, um, traditionally in UU churches, um, the leadership is 
there's usually a search team, but the the minister is called by a vote of the congregation. And so that may be what you're expecting. But actually, the bylaws of CLF uh, make that a board decision. And so the board has appointed us as the search team, um, three board members and one non-board member um, to make to do this process. And then at the end, uh, the board will approve um, or not approve, I suppose, the uh, the person or team that we put forward. And so that is a little different from what you might be used to in UU spaces of how we choose um, our, our ministry. And that's to some extent just a, a, a feature of the way that CLF works a little differently and has to work a little differently as a widespread, virtual, non-brick and mortar congregation. Um, so as has been mentioned a couple times, we are casting a really wide net. We are open to individuals and teams. We've put together a portfolio that we are asking leadership to fill and being really, really open to what it would look like for people to fill. So we're asking for proposals of how people will fill, people or teams will fill that portfolio which we have talked a lot about how that means we have no idea what is coming our way, which is a little anxiety provoking and also really exciting that we don't want to close the door on any, any idea that might be a fantastic next place for CLF to start moving. Um, and so we are really open to that right now. Is it question time? Because I have a couple of questions. Okay, cool. I hear you saying a leadership team, and I am hopeful that that includes a minister, but may include someone who's a lay leader. Is that possible? Does it all, do we all have to be ministers or lay leaders? Can you talk more about that? Sure. So we, um, yeah, so we very intentionally, um, we tried to make it very clear what our expectations were in the RFP that we do want one, uh, at least one person, if it is a team that's applying, one person to be in fellowship. And it doesn't have to be, it could be preliminary fellowship um, as well. So one member of the team needs to be in preliminary fellowship um, as a UUA minister. Um, but we recognize that, and Jess was saying it before, that um, there are, um, the, the pool of who is uh, in ministerial fellowship in our denomination does not even begin um, to capture the, the experiences and the talents of our denomination. And we wanted to make sure that um, the, the, the spirit of this team is bringing different um, talents to the to the table and making sure that it could be um, absolutely um, a lay leader. It could be somebody that has, I mean, our, our imaginations are sort of running wild in, in the RFP process that it could be, um, obviously we need somebody that, um, uh, a team that is committed um, to our, our um, to our work um, our prison ministry work that's committed to a lot of things, and we recognize that that might not be a minister. Um, one of the things that we were talking about on our call last night um, was that one of the questions that we felt really excited and proud of in our RFP was a question where we invited every member of the team to give us um, a sample of their talents. 
Um, so we, it kind of started off as like, well, if you're going to be a regular preacher within this team, then we want a sample sermon, or maybe we want a writing sample. But then we thought, no, this is about as as broadly as we can say, what are what are your talents? What are the things that you would bring to CLF? And so we've really tried to build RFP so that we don't know what those samples of people's talents and the beauty and the experience that they could bring to this, but we, we really tried to, um, to honor people's gifts and create them as, create as much space in the RFP as possible for them to show us those gifts. I have a follow-up question. Actually, a point of clarification, what does it mean to be in fellowship? And then the other thing is, um, when you say talents, I, I think of so many things like, I bet you our CLL, uh, CLF booth at GA would be so good if somebody was like a magician. That would be so awesome. So I'm dreaming of like <laughs> talents that I'm like, how can we use this thing to make it better? But I think that we do need to talk about what fellowship is. That's a really good point, Antonia. I think sometimes we, when we know this information, we get so caught up in it and we forget that it is kind of a wild process that not everyone is familiar with. So in Unitarian Universalism to become, uh, well, it's always so complicated to talk about because we have congregational polity. And so uh, there's a lot of, of difference, but there is the Ministerial Fellowship Committee, which is a committee um, run by the UUA that uh, holds on to this process that uh, ministers or folks intending to be ministers can go through. Um, and so that involves um, submitting a lot of paperwork uh, and it involves doing an internship and doing theological education and all these pieces doing uh, CPE, which is clinical pastoral education. Um, culminating in an interview with the fellowship committee that um, really uh, tries to encapsulate all of those things people have learned. And then at the end of that, the desired outcome is that the ministerial fellowship committee will say, yes, we think this person has done all the work and learned the things necessary for them to be a UU minister. And that's when you would be welcomed into fellowship. Um, you, often the way that it works is someone is welcomed into fellowship and then they will get ordained. That can look different based on our congregational polity, but that is our denominational um, kind of process to vet people for ministry. And so that is the traditional process, but as we've talked about for so many reasons, because that is such a long and involved process, it's not always accessible to everyone. But that's what we mean by fellowship. And then you'd be welcomed into preliminary fellowship. And then uh, the next piece, uh, doing some work with mentors and, and continuing education and committees, moving into what is now called full fellowship, which is sort of like tenure in some ways, and in some ways not at all like tenure, but that's a good basic understanding, I think. Thank you for that. I, I'm feeling very familiar with that process right now as a as a candidate for ministry. Um, 
Um, so as I was listening to you, I'm just so excited to hear about um, the creativity you're bringing to this process, the openness to tapping the talents and creativity that's out there that we don't always even know is out there. And I think that really speaks to CLF's long tradition of harnessing creativity and technology to innovate in ministry and reach more folks and especially folks on the margins. So I'm so excited about that. And I also want to acknowledge that in the face of change, people get anxious and they get anxious about losing the things that they love about a community or a relationship. And so I just wanted to ask you if you could speak to ways in which this process is ensuring that new leadership will build on existing strengths, understanding that inevitably it is going to change and a community changes every day in any case. But, but what, what are you building into the process to preserve kind of the existing strengths and traditions that are beloved at CLF? I can respond a little bit to that. Um, a couple of things that we're doing are um, being really close communication as much as we can uh, with, with the board, with the executive director of CLF, with the staff, and opening up spaces for congregants to communicate with us and to share with us what are the most important things to you uh, for what you want from the future leadership of CLF. What's important to you about CLF and what would you like us to hold as we go through this process. So that has been really um, enlightening and, and powerful, I think, to hear. And we hope to have more opportunities for people to connect with us. Anyone can also just email us at, um, our email address is search at um, CLUU, CLFUU.org. Yes, <laughs> we'll type that in so we get all the, all the letters. Um, and I pass it along to my team to add some things to that. I'd like to add something there. I think one of the other thing we talked about is that in the final interview sequence will definitely involve uh, uh, Jody and whoever she thinks is appropriate on the staff to make sure that uh, the that there is a, a, a sense of comfort with the people. Uh, being incorporated into the existing team. Because we have to remember there's already a team in place. And any, anybody added to that who, who will be in the leadership position really has to feel uh, and be very uh, cognizant of the fact that they're leading a bunch of people who have already been very successful in this. <clears throat> so I think all along, particularly near the end of the process when we're choosing uh, to recommend a candidate or candidates as a team, <clears throat> a very heavy involvement of staff in the evaluation of, of uh, that person or persons will be done. I would add that, you know, just at a sort of logistical perspective, the, in the request for proposals, which anyone can take a look at, we've really tried to capture um, the, the portfolio that we would be asking this leadership individual or team um, to, to take on. And that reflects the current work um, that um, that Meg is doing as well as what Rodney is doing, and Rodney is the minister of uh, is the prison ministry um, lead right now. 
And so just sort of at a baseline, we're not saying um, that you need to sort of remain stagnant in, 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 in serving these priorities in the way that they have been served in the past, but the portfolio reflects those um, core things um, that, we, that we are currently doing. Um, and so there is a commitment, there's an expectation that those people or our individual will, will um, stick to that work, but possibly reimagine how it's done um, in a way that CLF can change with the times without changing who they are and hopefully becoming, living more deeply into our values um, through, through the vision of a, of a new individual or team. Um, it may be important at this time to also just mention, um, so uh, a, a logistical thing in terms of um, the portfolio that we are, um, that this RFP is looking to fill. Um, so the portfolio is, is um, meant to take on 1.25% um, uh, of a full-time job. So a full-time, full which I believe is 35 hours, is that correct? 35 hours plus an additional quarter time. Um, so that 1.25 portfolio of, of time could be distributed many ways. Um, there could be three individuals in which they're sort of discerning their skills and what parts of the portfolio they would take. And the number of hours that the three of them would be contributing weekly would add up to 1.25 time. Um, or if it's the case that indi an individual applies and we think this individual is who we want, but we're not going to let you work 1.25 time. Um, and our commitment to making sure that we're not overworking people or underpaying people is really important to this search process. So if we decide to call an individual, the process that we would go through would then be identifying specifically what part, what full-time uh, sort of uh, parts of uh, the portfolio would you be responsible for? And then there would be a uh, separate, um, um, not full search, but a separate um, hiring process to fulfill the additional 0.25 um, parts of the portfolio that that individual wouldn't be able to take on. Um, hopefully I explained that in a way that sort of makes sense, but if anybody else wants to chime in, um, please do. a question about that. I think that it's clear to me from speaking to you all um, last week that you all have a deep commitment to things that, um, you know, CLF is known for, like our anti-racism work, our prison ministry, the way that uh, CLF is a teaching congregation, those types of things. When I hear that there's someone that can do 0.25 I'm wondering where that go that goes because I'm like our prison ministry can't can't be quarter or you know so I just like to have a better idea of what you mean when you say that. Absolutely, I think one of the things that we've tried to do is what we've essentially taken is the senior minister position, the minister or director of prison ministry position, taken those tasks, put them together and then open them back out, right? So rather than hiring a senior minister and hiring a, a prison, min, prison ministry minister or director, we've put all those things together. And then what we're asking people to, to say to us is how they're going to fulfill those things. So we're trying to break down the silos of those two positions to some extent. Um, so rather than, 
prison ministry, you either do prison ministry or you don't, you either do senior minister or you don't. What does it look like to pull out some of the key pieces of those positions? And so rather than someone saying, well, it's full-time senior minister and 0.25 prison ministry, which we know is not how that works, um, we say, well, maybe someone might want to do pieces of both. And maybe uh, what we're going to need to hire to supplement that is uh, someone to do pastoral care. Or maybe we're going to have to hire to supplement that someone to do any number of other things. And so it is, it is a new creative way to be doing this that we are still figuring out as we are going. But I think really thinking about it as not these two positions smushed together, but really the things that those two positions do um, as, a, as, a, as a list of things that need to be done and how might we best fulfill them. And one of the big considerations I think in that is, is figuring out compensation and funding. And one of the big things that we're asking for people to have a commitment to is, is stewardship. That is a crucial piece actually of both of those roles. Um, and we are very lucky to have the, the board treasurer on our search team. That has been crucial. And John, I'm wondering if you want to talk a little bit more about uh, stewardship and any other pieces of that. Yeah, I would. Uh, I, we need to have the leadership team have a passion for stewardship. And that sounds like a contradiction in terms, but it really, but it really isn't. It's really true. People that really understand that we're not asking people for money, we're giving them the opportunity to contribute and to have a part in something that's much greater than themselves and that's very important and that constitutes the future for, the, for Unitarian Universalism. That's a special kind of talent, but it's really critical in something like in a virtual organization like uh, the CLF, where we're both a, a, a church without walls and we're also a social institution that's trying to do good in the world. Now, and more than half of our congregation are going to be incarcerated folks pretty soon. They're not going to be contributing a lot to the future. And we, do, we are trying to contribute to their future, not them to ours. And that means we have to have a financial stream of, of money. And that means we need donors, we need grants, and we need a, a, a kind of a financial uh, model that, these, that the leadership brings in that's going to guarantee not just the viability of CLF in the future, but the flourishing of it. it people don't like to, uh, it's something that's very difficult to deal with, but we really need to fund our dreams. And we're going to have to have people in the leadership team that understand that, not only understand it, but have a proven ability to make that happen. So I just want to make sure we got that. We got that. Thanks, John, so much for bringing that up. I am uh, part of the fundraising team here at the CLF and the director of technology. So I work uh, in many different roles as many of us on the staff do. We be, we're a small staff. I know it may look like we're this polished organization that's very deep, but you know, there are some, you know, there's like 13 to 14 of us at any given time that make up the minister and uh, administrative programmatic staff. So, and that includes our fellows who are all part-time and working in other uh, congregations and going to school, many of them, um, while they're working with us. So uh, as a fundraising person within the, the, I mean, it's a broad constellation of people. We've got the fundraising committee from the board, and then we've got the staff and ministers who help with fundraising as well. 
um, what I'd like to say is that money is a form of energy and it's a, and ultimately it is a manifestation of our love and our faith. And what I find is that working for the CLF, we are, we are a huge congregation, but we're a really small nonprofit organization. So we're kind of this hybrid. And so our fundraising models uh, reflect both congregational life, like pledges and membership, but then also uh, they reflect this nonprofit model too, where we have donors who care about our mission and give to that. And because precisely, John, what you said, half of our membership, we're, we're approaching this so quickly, half of our membership, they don't actually pledge because they are incarcerated. They make pennies per hour if they are even lucky enough to be paid for their labor while they're incarcerated. And so we rely on other people to, to get support that mission. To support that program and so the other thing is we don't turn anyone away anyone who wants to be a member out in what we call the free world also can become a member if they do not have the ability to pay so we have over a hundred people who are also um, uh, granted these uh, waivers to accept the benefits of membership without paying so uh, just keeping in mind that the we're opening up more and more channels, more and more ways for you to channel the energy of money into the CLF. And we, it will be so critical for us to have leadership that understands how to open up those channels as well and find folks who uh, want to manifest their love in this way too, to make their love real in the form of actual cash. So thanks so much for keeping that in mind and keeping it in the forefront as you do this search. Really appreciate it. I think that brings a great um, point that I think CLF does very well uh, about the way that we are stewards of our money. I think about how many um, um, forms that we get in each day asking us for membership for people who can't pay. I think it speaks to the face of Unitarian Universalism as it actually is and not as we've assumed it to be for so long. And also the range of people that we, we see, like the Canadian, she was 90 something years old and she had to walk to get her stamp and <laughs> to mail her membership and, and she paid. And then I think about a 10 year old boy that I just saw in worship who lives at least 60 miles from the closest Unitarian Universalist church but he's a Boy Scout and he really identifies as a Unitarian Universalist. And we have people on the staff who are being a pen pal to him. So the range of people that we meet is so spectacular. And I think that that is exactly it. Our energy flows. We're stewards of the energy of money that we receive. And also that flows all the way to the top and to this team who's decided that they are going to um, allow for fair compensation in this position, which is not easy. Every church doesn't do it. I'm just wondering why you're doing it, especially because we do have so many members who can't pay the, the nominal membership charge of $50. And then we have so many members who are incarcerated that can't pay. So why are you offering fair compensation? 
Well, I mean, yeah, we, um, what's the, the obvious question is because we have to live into our values in the search process or else what are we doing? Um, this is, this is how you lead and the way that um, fair compensation is a way that we live into our values in the way that we affirm the worth and dignity of those who are leading us. Um, it's absolutely critical as a, as a former uh, budget drive co-chair um, of my home congregation in Providence. Um, we talk about this all the time that we, um, this is a special, special place and it's led by a lot of very special, powerful people who um, are creating, are serving a unique function, not only to our denomination, um, to it, things like this, like the view, um, creating spaces that are accessible um, in ways that our, our congregation, our denomination as a whole has not figured out um, how to do yet. Um, so, so CLF plays a unique function in, um, in our denomination. And we absolutely believe that, um, that we need to um, put our money where our mouth is. Um, we need to lead with our values that the search process needs to. Um, that's why we would love to say this is a two, um, uh, two full-time positions, but we're not gonna do that um, because we have to constantly negotiate um, what is, um, that we, we do have a dream of growing um, CLF in a way that can fully, um, that can fully serve um, all the members of CLF, but we also feel a responsibility to negotiate that dream and that vision for the growth of CLF with um, the commitment to fairly compensating those who are leading us. So I just want to add kind of in the interest of assuming people don't know what all these things that we have been so steeped in are. Um, the UUA puts out guidelines every year for what they uh, what they believe to be based on a lot of different things, fair compensation for various positions. So it's, they don't just put it out for ministers. Um, they put it out for a really wide range. Um, and it's one of the things about it is that those guidelines um, are based on and specific to um, what are called geo indexes. So based on those are that's an IRS. Uh, label of uh, geographical location and the all the economics of that that make fair compensation um, align with what it actually costs to live somewhere right so so fair compensation where somewhere where rent is incredibly high is going to look a little different than somewhere where um, rent is much cheaper um, and one of the things about CLF is that not only is the congregation spread around the country and around the world, but that's true of the staff too, right? There's a CLF office that uh, most staff members are not in most of the time. And so that does make it a little hard to figure out um, as we're opening, again, as wide open a, a search process as possible and having no idea where our, um, where our leadership is going to be coming from. And so we worked closely with Jody, the executive director, to come up with essentially what was realistic for CLF to, to pay um, for this senior leadership, what, what felt, you know, maybe a little bit of a stretch, but realistic with our budget, and then um, figuring out what amount of time we want, we, we could say that that was, that would fit in fair compensation um, for, 
for a number of, of different places. And so though that fair compensation is always offered as a range from minimum to maximum. Um, we are trying to hit on the, um, the median to maximum side for geo-index four, which is right in the middle, which means that um, the, the, the place on that scale from minimum to maximum of that fair compensation range is gonna look a little different depending on where in the country someone lives but we're committed to paying within that range so that people can do this work and and live fairly. Like Lisa said, it's about living our values. Could I add one more thing on that? I think definitely fairness is the number one consideration, but there's also an attitudinal consideration here that aspirationally we want to come from a, a, a feeling of abundance. We want to... If somebody once said that expect the best or expect the worst, either way you'd be right. We want, we want to expect the best and we want people that are talented, that are paid fairly and that feel like they're, they don't have to worry about their day-to-day -day existence to make it work. And I think, it, it, so from an aspirational point of view, you want to make sure that we start with the sense that we're not only paying people fairly, but we've got people who can really do the job there as well. One thing I'd love to make sure we mention, that's one of the big things we've been talking about is um, that the timeline of this is, is outside of the timeline of the traditional ministerial search system. It's not happening through the search and settlement system, um, but it, it is also not happening uh, roguely on its own. So in addition to being in touch with, um, you know, all these different pieces of CLF, it has also felt important to us to, to be connected to the idea of ministerial search, even if we are doing things a little differently. And so um, we've been in pretty close contact in a number of ways with Keith Kahn, who runs the UUA Transitions Office, um, and talking with him about the ways to make sure we're using the best practices of search, um, even outside of that system, um, which I think is important to mention. Um, Keith has been very helpful. The UUA Settlement Handbook, which is uh, over 100 pages has been very helpful in, in reminding us how this works and knowing that sometimes things that are discussed in that aren't relevant to this, uh, this search process and the way we're doing it, but so many pieces of it are. And so making sure we keep, again, that we're, we're living up to our values of doing this in a way that is fair and, and creative at the same time and that is, that is welcoming and open. So I think that's important to mention. Just quickly, some of those things include the, our ability to protect those who are applying, um, recognizing that they um, they may want to um, that, that they may not want people to know that they are applying. So we are committed to making sure um, that the privacy of applicants is maintained. We look to Keith to make sure that we. Um, are thorough in our vetting process, um, and and every and even we we use the existing ministerial record to inform the RFP to make sure that we're asking the type of questions um, that um, that we think are important to making sure that um, that our candidates um, have um, have a wide range of competencies that are somewhat traditional to um, to a search process. So I'm, um, you know, thinking about the more traditional search process 
sometimes the search doesn't yield, you know, the, the hoped for outcome. So in this case, especially with this being a new kind of vision, um, and we're not quite sure what to expect, what, what's the kind of, um, what's, what's the, the supports that are in place if this timeline doesn't yield the right leadership proposal for this moment? I tell them I can't leave. No, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Well, the the beauty of CLF is the structure and function and and um, effectiveness and having an executive director. CLF has operated beautifully through sabbaticals. So I guess just to say um, we're not going to stop. You know, the the if this search doesn't work out, then the board will regroup and figure out what's next and CLF will still thrive and flourish while we're doing that. Well, I just want to uh, express that I am so very grateful for this task that you're taking on. Uh, the CLF is really important to me as a, not only a staff member, but as a member. I was a member of the CLF before I joined the staff and just really appreciate the care with which you guys are approaching the search and the transparency with which you are uh, engaging in this sacred work. Uh, I also wanna say that um, because I have such a high stake in the CLF as, um, you know, just personally, when I first learned that Meg was, uh, she's always been my minister, you know, at the CLF. I I joined within the last 10 years during her tenure. And when I learned that she was leaving, um, you know, retiring, which is, I, I'm so happy for her and at the same time devastated. And I know that I'm guessing some of our other listeners maybe are feeling that way, especially because they haven't had as long to kind of get used to this idea. And so I just want to say that for my personal journey of coming from, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, she's leaving, what's going to happen to, oh my gosh, you know, we're moving into this new chapter of the CLF and, every, and just being able to look back into our history and seeing the, um, how every tenure, new tenure of every new leadership uh, was ushered in great new things that were not even dreamt of or imagined before that person joined our team or that team joined our team. So I'm, I'm moving into that space now in my heart and I'm inviting everyone who's listening, who may be feeling those flutters to join me and join us as we move into that space of expansive abundance, as John mentioned, uh, where we can dream together the next chapter for the CLF and be, be good stewards, not only by money, but in the institution itself. And I'm so happy that you guys are laying that groundwork in such a strong way. So I really want to express deep gratitude for each of you for that. Thank you, Lori. It's, I just want to say quickly that it's very clear to us that we are not trying to replace Meg. We don't want to try to replace Meg. Um, so we have this whole time have been thinking about, you know, not ah, oh, how do we replace Meg when she leaves? But how do we how do we allow for uh, for the next piece of CLF to happen? 
and it's not our job, but I know there's going to be a lot of space to celebrate Meg and and say thank you to her. And that's not our work, but we are very on board with it. I think um, looking at this process, it actually reminds me very much of Meg and Meg's just big personality to go out and do something so innovative that people are like, what do you mean you're doing this thing? And so I just think it's beautiful. It is such a beautiful way to look at um, a congregation that just has not done it like anyone else is doing it and actually has um, inspired other people to do online um, church. And that is beautiful. I was thinking about dreaming and about expansive abundance. And I wanted to ask you all, when you look back in the next 10 years without influencing what this search is, for yourselves, I'm also a member. So for yourselves, what do you want, what do you want to see? When you look back, what are you hoping to see for CLF? I'm making the podcast and I can tell you all this silence is killing me. So <laughs> I hope to see. Um, I, I hope to see, um, well, I, I want to lift up something that Darby, um, one of our, our CLF members said, um, um, if, if I, I hope that's okay that I do that, an idea that we have, we've had a conversation about through our open Zoom calls, which is, I hope to see a new, deeper level of engagement opportunities for the CLF congregation to be more deeply engaged and contribute to this beloved community. Um, it's something that, thank, thanks so much to the, these comments in our Zoom call, um, that that is something that's on my heart. And in 10 years, I hope that CLF members have a, a level of engagement and, and are contributing in ways that we could not have imagined today. I think for me, I would love to see so much of what we've already seen of CLF continuing to be, um, you know, not just an innovative space and an innovative organization, but really uh, leadership for the rest of our denomination. So in 10 years, I can't even imagine where CLF will be, but I deeply hope that Unitarian Universalism will be closer to where CLF is now. Um, and having CLF be kind of a front runner leadership that's pulling our denomination that doesn't necessarily mean that all of Unitarian Universalism is going to go online. I don't even think that's the right thing to happen. But what does it look like for us to live into our values as a denomination in the way CLF has led us to? And I can't even imagine what that means CLF will be doing in 10 years. Uh, I have kind of a specific kind of dream, I think. And that is that the, the, the free world part of our congregation and the incarcerated uh, <clears throat> world really come together and we, come, we have a supportive kind of internal sense of energy that comes from that. And in addition to that, I, the, the, <clears throat> the relationship between CLF and the brick and mortar congregations regarding incarcerated people and their re-entry into the world, I think there's a huge, huge uh, potential for, uh, for uh, a lot of cooperative work uh, and, and with institutions and, and groups that are, are really looking at, uh, at uh, re-entry uh, kinds of considerations. So I believe we can be a catalyst for, for, for real, for not only for prison reform, but for really 
making the future a lot more bright for, for people who are incarcerated. And, and I think that's an inherently anti-racist, anti-oppression uh, uh, kind of, and it happens not because we're trying to be anti-racist, anti-oppression, but we're trying to make life better for people. And, and I, I just think that the potential, the, the fact that the, uh, the uh, prison ministry has taken off so much and that we are right in the middle of that is an extremely important place for us to lead Unitarian Universalism in the future. Well, I'll just say ditto to everyone else on the team. And I hope in 10 years that CLF has more money than we even know what to do with. For me, uh, along the lines of, I think a little bit what Lisa was saying, um, I was, I was recently home visiting in my family, my extended family, and I have some uncles who are in their seventies and they are churchgoers and, you know, traditional brick and mortar churchgoers. And they, they keep asking me questions like what, you know, now what is it that you do? What is an online church? <laughs> and they're so confused. And so I explain it to them and then they say to me, but how do you help people? Like, how can you do that if you're not in person? And because their idea of helping people is soup kitchens and clothing drives and that sort of thing. And so part of my, and, and I see that as a particular kind of social justice work, right? And so it's, we're working toward a vision of transformative social justice uh, it, rather than that kind of doing for or at people. So, uh, but how do we do with and as the people, right? in an online space. So that for me is the challenge, the kind of really exciting challenge of how do we use our real connections in a virtual world to enable and empower us to work through transformative social justice models in a much more you know, leveraged space out in the world, not just in the 20 miles surrounding a, a traditional brick and mortar congregation. I want to do that kind of work in this expansive online space. So that's, that's what I'm really excited about in the, in the future. Wow, we have a beautiful future to look forward to. And we are almost done with our time here. I just want to thank all of you for the work you're doing. Guys, they are not getting paid for this. This is just a whole bunch of hard work for love and justice. <laughs> so thank you all for that. Um, next week on The View, it will be a surprise. You will have to tune in to see what it is. Pay attention to all of our invitations. Like us on all of the social media. Know that we are here for you, that we love you, that we are in this together, that the chalice is always lit and we are always open to you. Thank you so much for coming. Um, let's see, what else, Lori? Anything else happening really, really good? Want any more shout outs? Oh, GA, we will have a booth. We will be doing the thing. I don't know what that thing is yet, but you know, we do GA, we do our booths. We will have worship, come and worship with us. It'll be so neat to see you in person. Um, just be good to each other, be good to each other. We'll see you next time. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. This has been an episode of The View. If you would like to learn more about the CLF, visit questformeaning.org.